Okay, um, I think that uh, we're about ready to start. And welcome everyone, thanks for coming. This is a serious talk about a serious problem. I like to update my statistics on how many people have migraines. And I was pretty much astounded to see that 1 billion people in the world have migraines. It is a difficult problem. And my job here is to help you how to get fewer migraines and less severe migraines. One of the things about our modern medical system is they're great at treating things, but they're not so good at preventing things. And prevention is a lot of what I'm gonna talk about today. And the main way to prevent migraines is to learn your own triggers. When you know your triggers, you can avoid your triggers. Well, in most cases, if atmospheric disturbances are your trigger for migraines, it's harder to uh, avoid. I'm going to also mention some medical plants that have been shown in clinical trials to reduce migraine pain, some of them quite markedly. And I'll mention some quick remedies for migraines. If you're in pain, it's really nice to get something that helps right away. I will also talk tonight about inflammation and migraine pain. Inflammation is something we can do a lot about. I am a nutritional biochemist, so my focus is on reducing inflammation by eating less inflammatory foods. So we're gonna talk about what you can do to get fewer migraines and have them be less painful. I only discuss safe treatments, never anything that uh, could cause side effects that are adverse. And I get my information from reliable medical journals and no other sources. Wouldn't it be nice if you could reduce the number of migraines that you get from three per week to maybe one or two every other month? These, on this screen, skip meals are one of the biggest triggers for migraine. When you skip a meal, it can trigger adrenal hormones, such as cortisol, that trigger a stress reaction that can trigger the migraine and the pain and the other problems with it. So skip meals is something you can avoid. And uh, also fumes, odors, paint fumes, and perfume. 76% of migraineurs, now I may refer to the term migraineur today, that means someone who gets migraines. 76% react to perfume and 46% to paint fumes. If you are overweight, it's been shown that you can reduce the frequency and severity of migraines by losing weight. I know it's tough to lose weight, but five times the risk of migraines with more weight is a, a really significant amount. Now, you may have heard of histamine, perhaps only as an antihistamine, which are used for uh, asthma and other inflammatory conditions. Histamine-free diets reduced 68% uh, of the participants had a 50% reduction in their migraines. That's a huge reduction, and I'm going to tell you which foods you can uh, avoid. Also, one drink and cigarettes. One of the plants that is uh, extremely cheap but common, safe, is ginger powder. And they put ginger powder head to head with sumatriptan, one of the drugs that's often used for migraine pain, and it worked just as well. Five cents of ginger 
with safe beneficial side effects instead of the potentially adverse side effects of the drug. And so that's, that's something I'll discuss, uh, the clinical trial where they put those two head to head as we go on today. One vitamin, vitamin B2, known as riboflavin, 59% of patients had a 50% reduction. This is a huge amount of reduction for a vitamin that has no adverse effects and is safe. Quenzyme Q10, have you heard of that one? It's something we make in our own bodies. It's a fat-soluble antioxidant. Also is involved in energy production. And again, 61% of migraineurs had a 50% reduction in migraine days when they use CoQ10. Now there's a plant called butterbur. It is possibly contaminated with a substance that can be removed. So you need to get the butterbur that is without this substance. And I'll tell you what that is and how to do that. But again, three quarters of migraineurs had a 50% reduction in frequency. And this could really help. This talk today is about real migraines. There are many other types of headaches, there are tension headaches and sinus headaches and others. Some of the techniques will help with the other types of headaches, but my focus today is on real migraines. First thing you can do is learn your trigger foods and odors and other things that trigger the migraines and avoid them. That's huge. Good sleep and no skip meals work for a lot of people, so you should consider that. Ginger tea with a few skullcap leaves can be used before bed. The skullcap leaves I'll mention can be relaxing and reduce the excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate in the brain. Of course, there are many drugs that do this too, but skullcap tea is, well, the only side effect is it makes you sleepy, so it should be taken in the evening. So we need to reduce excitation of your brain. Overstimulation of any kind might trigger a migraine. So watch out for that. I'm gonna be talking about fever for, excuse me, fever, few, and butterbur. And the butterbur needs to be without pyrolizidines. I'll mention again, magnesium uh, is amazing and how powerful it is in warding off migraines. It's uh, especially, the migraines that are menstrual, but also all other types of migraines too. So if you wanna identify your triggers, I'll talk to you about a elimination diet where you kind of go to a very simple diet. And if your migraines back off, then you can add back one food at a time and see which food might be triggering that migraine. I'm not gonna talk about aerobic exercise today. I know that during a migraine, you don't wanna move. You don't wanna move at all, much less exercise. But in between migraines, the regular aerobic exercise can be helpful. A true migraine affects either half or all of the head and recurs periodically. They can last from four hours up to three days and that's really unpleasant. Nausea and even vomiting can accompany migraines and sensitivity to light, sound, or smell. Uh, a lot of times people with migraines wanna go in a dark room and hide under a blanket until the pain and nausea goes away. Uh, certainly physical activity can make the pain worse. So it's a good idea to, to not do that. Unfortunately, migraines occur in people of working age, typically, children and young adults. 
And so you lose a lot of days at work or school with migraines. And I'm hoping to help today with that. The migraine aura is something that not all migraineurs experience, but perhaps about a third of people do. And it can signal that the headache will perhaps soon occur. And it can be visual like this rather disturbing uh, image here on the screen. Uh, sensory, like uh, you, you think you smell something, uh, slurred language or uneven movements. Learn your own signs of an aura coming on so that you can take precautions to ward off a migraine. 40 million Americans are affected. That's more than one out of 10. And 1 billion, as I mentioned, worldwide, a huge number of people suffering. Migraine affects disproportionately 18% of women and 6% of men. Migraines, I'm going to talk a little bit today about the pathophysiology of migraines, how they occur, how blood vessels and nerves in the brain interact to make migraines. But it's, um, I, I won't overburden you with that. My goal today is to give you solutions. The increased excitability in the cerebral cortex plays a large role. And I'll talk to you about how to reduce that as we go on. Pain sensors, you can see in this man's head, the trigeminal nerves are outlined in yellow. And pain sensors in these trigeminal nerves can allow you to sense pain of a migraine. Now, genes can increase the risk through a vulnerability to environmental triggers, but if the environmental triggers are not there, then the migraine's not there either. This map of the world shows that, for example, in China, there are very few migraines. Uh, as well as I could, I confirmed there are very few migraines in China, whereas in Italy seems to be about the most migraines anywhere. And Large parts of Africa have very few migraines. This may also be due to poor reporting. Civilized countries tend to have more. Why, when we have different countries with similar genetic backgrounds, we have such variations in migraines? Well, I'll try and explain some of that today. You will notice at the bottom of my slides, I have citations to the medical references. In this case, Lancet Neurology 2018 is where I got the information on this slide. I think it's very important in this day of misinformation to know where my information came from and you can check it yourself. So to reduce migraine frequency and severity, that's our goal. Sleep well, learn from this kitten and puppy picture. Stress management's really important, aerobic exercise. Pain medications are necessary for the management of migraines. The, the way we can tell that natural solutions are helping is when people use less pain medication. And that's one goal is for you to need less pain medications so you have less side effects of those pain medications. Dietary modification and triggers are very, very important and supplements too. And I'll talk about all those today. There are many migraine drugs used. Uh, of course, over-the-counter ibuprofen and acetaminophen are very commonly used. Caffeine can be used. Caffeine's unique because it can either increase migraines or reduce them, depending on the stage of the migraine and uh, whether a person is able to metabolize caffeine quickly or slowly. 
Botox injections are often used. They are extremely expensive and delicate and are temporary in their helpfulness. Triptans like sumatriptan with naproxen, probably the standard medication, reduce vascular inflammation and constrict arteries. And it's, it's when those blood vessels are inflamed that they put out the neuropeptides that create the pain. As I mentioned, ginger seems to work as well as sumatriptan, at least in the study I'll show you. Ergotamine's another drug that may help and valvrate and topiramate may be used. They have anti-convulsant actions. They're used on epilepsy. Epilepsy has some similarities to migraines. It's interesting. This is just a pretty picture of a sunset uh, to help relax your brain so you are less likely to get a migraine from my talk. <laughs> I hope no one does. This is my book, Mastering Migraines, Prevention and Relief. There are actually other books with this title. So if you go to drsteveblake.com, you can get my book, which has vastly more information than I can give you in this talk today. Now, a little background on how migraines happen. Brain cells can become prone to excitability when magnesium is low and stress or excitability is high. Triggers increase the exciting neurotransmitter glutamate and they reduce the calming neurotransmitter GABA, stands for GABA amino butyric acid. So a wave of excitability can spread across the cerebral cortex. This can be known as a spreading cortical depression or spreading cortical depolarization. It can constrict blood vessels, and then the blood vessels dilate and inflammation can lead to pain. What we can do is reduce excitability of the brain and maintain our magnesium levels. Here's a diagram, it spans two slides. If you encounter a trigger, usually two or three triggers at once, food, odor, uh, lack of sleep or stress, the brain cells become excitable. If you have excess of the excitable neurotransmitter glutamate and too little magnesium, then an aura may form with spreading cortical depression. Blood vessels can constrict with less nitric oxide and prostacyclin and brain energy production reduces. After that, the trigeminal neurons release neuropeptides. Those are those nerves in the face. And one of the neuropeptides is calcitonin gene-related peptide and also substin P. You don't need to remember these. I'll just give you solutions for this uh, problem. Then vasodilation, which means enlarged arteries and leaky arteries lead to brain membrane inflammation. Serotonin levels drop and more of these neuropeptides in the trigeminal nerve blood vessels create pain that goes into the brain, into the cortex where the pain is perceived. All of this, I'm telling you so we can stop it, reduce it, reduce frequency. What you need to know to stop a migraine is what your triggers are. So you can stop them from accumulating past your threshold so they don't result in a migraine. A lot of times it takes two or three, not just one trigger. So you have to watch out. Here's the problem, a skipped meal or red wine, or job stress may have a delay in how long it takes. Some of the triggers show up as a migraine in a few hours and some take a day or more. So it can be hard. And I want each of you with migraines to be uh, Sherlock Holmes and figure out which of these migraines are causing the problems. So learn your triggers, that's the key here. 
Here's a little graph that I made to show how it might work. The action potential of the nerve, there's an electrical charge in millivolts across our nerve cell membranes from the outside to the inside. Minus 70 millivolts is common. That's the normal of the cell. That's the resting potential of the cell, the voltage of the cell. If you skip a meal, that might go up as shown in that left-hand red line. If you then drink red wine and, and that's a trigger for you, then it may go up closer. The dotted line marked in green threshold of excitation is what you don't wanna cross. So then perhaps a coworker gives you a neck rub and you can see that the action potential, the voltage actually goes down again, further away from the threshold of excitation. And then maybe your boss yells at you and the job stress can trigger cortisol, shooting the nerve, triggering it. So that once this action potential is reached, the nerve is triggered. And this can happen over and over again in your brain and trigger a migraine. Menstrual migraines are perhaps the reason why women get more migraines than men. Estrogen itself is protective against migraines, but during the cycle that women can go through, when ovulation happens, estrogen drops rather quickly and this protection drops rather quickly and that can trigger a migraine right there. You may have noticed the timing of migraines can be coincidental. There is evidence of low magnesium levels in the brain during migraines and magnesium supplements have lowered the frequency of menstrual migraines and reduced pain levels. Uh, this is very, very important, uh, both with menstrual migraines and other migraines is to keep your magnesium levels up. It's the relaxing mineral. Food and beverage likely don't act directly on the brain, but on blood vessels surrounding the brain or on the facial trigeminal nerve. They can't really cross the blood-brain barrier except for caffeine and a few other things. Histamine can too. Non-food triggers for migraines. Uh, again, if you need more information later, Mastering Migraines Prevention and Relief is available on my website, drsteveblake.com. Skipped meals are very common trigger for migraine. Uh, one man was getting terrible migraines and we tracked it down to, he wasn't actually skipping meals. He just ate dinner a little bit early. And it was like he skipped a meal because by the time he went to bed, he was too hungry and that triggered cortisol and migraines. So look at your frequency of meals. Perhaps you need more frequent meals to make sure that you don't get the skipped meal cortisol reflex. Stress and anxiety are big. I know stress and anxiety are not always controllable, uh, but get some help with that. Figure it out. What is stressing you out and what relaxes you? And, uh, you know, perhaps a switch from your morning routine. Uh, instead of drinking coffee and watching the news, perhaps you could take a hot tub and drink a cup of chamomile tea. That would certainly affect your stress levels in the morning. Of course, you might fall asleep in the hot tub instead of going to work, right? <clears throat> Loud noises can trigger migraines and brighter flickering lights are often a trigger. Some people who, when they drive, get bumper flashes and they trigger migraines have found wraparound sunglasses that are dark and polarized can just eliminate that source of migraines. Weather changes, barometric changes can trigger migraines in some people. <clears throat> and uh, that's 
tough to avoid. Um, but you can avoid flying, and the barometric changes in flying can trigger migraines in some people. There's a long list of medications that trigger migraines. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the medications used for migraines can trigger migraines too. So it can get into kind of a closed loop there. Many odors trigger migraine. Uh, I think of this when I go into a department store where they have a perfume section and it's just really odiferous. Perfume can trigger migraines in 76% of migraineurs. That's over three quarters of people. So watch out for perfume. Uh, that can be tough if you have to take an elevator. Uh, perhaps that aerobic exercise can be had by going up the stairs instead and staying away from the perfume. Paint fumes trigger almost half of migraineurs. So you can perhaps stay away from those. Cigarettes, unfortunately, trigger about one third of people with migraines and cigarette smoke is hard to avoid. Uh, easier now than it was decades ago, but still can be hard. Gasoline triggers almost a third of people. So watch out, get someone else to fill your tank if you possibly can. And uh, bleach as a cleaning agent can trigger migraines in about a quarter of people. I mentioned skip meals. Uh, if you don't skip meals, and you can reduce your migraines by about 50%. Um, different studies show 40% to 57% of people don't get migraines if they don't skip meals and do get migraines if they do skip meals. So watch out for that. And as I mentioned, the mechanism where fasting and skipping meals trigger headaches related to the adrenal hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, uh, stress hormones, in other words. Five times the odds of migraines for people who are obese. The actual odds ratio is 5.53. But more positive is that weight loss may reduce the severity and duration of migraine attacks and increase migraine-free days. That uh, should sound very good to anyone with migraines. It appears that the inflammation in fat cells may, uh, you know, when your people are overweight, they have more fat cells and the inflammation may increase migraines. This is uh, from an excellent article actually in Open Medicine 2022, where they look at migraine management with non-pharmacological points for patients and healthcare professionals. There's actually a, another study down here that I'm, I'm also quoting. I often use many studies at once. Now let's think about dietary triggers for migraines. As I mentioned, headaches triggered by certain foods can occur 24 hours after exposure. That makes it tough to figure out which food is causing the problem. Time to onset of migraine is about 22 hours after chocolate and only three hours after drinking red wine. So you need to take that into account uh, if you don't have any problems three hours after eating chocolate, that doesn't mean you won't get problems the next day. Elimination diets, and I'll describe one as we go along here, uh, can be very helpful where you reduce your food down to very simple meals and avoid any possible triggers and then slowly add them back one by one over the days to see which one might be a problem for you. The common dietary triggers Alcohol triggers about one third of people who tend to get migraines to get a migraine. Chocolate, about one fifth of people react to chocolate. Well, that's good news for the four fifths who don't react to it. 
uh, cheese can trigger migraines in nine to 18% and caffeine in 14%. As I mentioned, caffeine can also reduce migraines depending on the timing. Monosodium glutamate is uh, added to some foods. It's famous for being put in Chinese food and that can increase your risk of migraines. About 12% of people react to that one. But usually it is a combination of problems like Menzies, stress and lack of sleep all at once that can trigger a migraine. So watch out for the combination factors. And that makes it harder to track down. Dehydration is a migraine trigger for up to half of the people who get migraines. So be careful and always get something to drink whenever you possibly can. I'm gonna take my own advice. Staying hydrated is really important. Dairy products, I mentioned cheese and milk. Ice cream only seems to be a trigger for 5% of adults, but 55% of children react to ice cream. Children who tend to get migraines, 55% of them react to ice cream and get a migraine. And we're not just talking about an ice cream headache here. This is a real migraine triggered by the ice cream. Eggs can trigger a migraine. There are nitrites added to red meat. Uh, nitrites make the meat red instead of a dull gray in color that a normal cadavers are. And it also preserves the food and, and kills certain bacteria. But the nitrites, besides leading to the formation of cancer-causing nitrosamines, uh, they're found in hot dogs, red meats, and many other fatty foods, do trigger migraines in many people. Aspartame is an artificial sweetener, and that can trigger your migraines as well. One way that you can conquer migraines is to keep a migraine diary. It's hard to remember everything you ate, and especially if you have a migraine headache and you're not feeling well. So if you keep a diary, you may be able to track down what's giving you those migraines. Start with the date and the day of the week and how long the migraine lasted, how, how bad was it? You know, you could rate the severity on a one to 10 scale. Did you try something to treat it? Did you take ginger powder or sumatriptan or something else? Ice packs on the forehead. Did it work? What were you doing leading up to the attack? Was there anything like uh, driving in traffic is, can be stressful or some job related stresses? How did you sleep the previous night? Could that be a contributing factor? And then write down what you ate during the 24 hours prior to the attack. That can be very important. And of course, if you had any long gaps between foods, were there triggering odors or major life stresses? A diary can be very useful. If you're the type of person who doesn't mind, you can do it on your smartphone or on a piece of paper or any way that you can. I know that sometimes using screens can bother people with migraines too. It's something else to look out for. I talked about elimination diets and I want to uh, talk about one study that looked at 99 children who had complete or great improvement on this diet. And when they resumed eating the different foods, most had relapses of their migraines. Elimination diets often include milk, eggs, food additives, cheese, well, not for children, beer, and red meat. And there can be other substances too, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that. 
uh, here's a vegan diet that they tried. And this was a, a nutrition intervention. It was a randomized crossover intervention. And they used a diet that seemed to exclude everything. Uh, no wheat, corn, soy, peanuts, citrus, apples, bananas, nightshades like tomatoes or potatoes, yams, no animal food of any kind, nothing derived from animals, nuts, chocolate, tea, or alcohol. Everything was taken out. They allowed oats, rice, lentils, blueberries, pears, plums, what's this sounding more possible, artichokes and cruciferous vegetables, carrots, greens, zucchini, and you could use olive oil, salt, vanilla, and brown rice and maple syrup. They tried this, and the amazing part was that of the 40 participants, 35 of them got better on the elimination diet, and five of them didn't. But on the control diet, it didn't make any difference. And then they crossed over and tried the, the control diet people on the diet, and it worked the same way. So it's possible that some type of elimination diet like this, and then what you do is over the following days, you slowly add in your favorite foods from the eliminate list and see if they're gonna cause you any trouble. Many studies have been done on the Western diet and uh, also known as the standard American diet or the SAD diet, that's how it's abbreviated. A high consumption of sugary drinks, dairy products, meat, fast foods, and fried foods. This Western dietary pattern has more migraine attacks, perhaps why a lot of Africa has much fewer migraines. A healthy diet for migraines will consist of lots of fruits, vegetables, legumes like beans, nuts, and whole grains. With a healthy eating pattern, there were fewer migraine attacks. It seems obvious, but uh, this study has shown it in the journal Headache. Of 28 adults with migraines, they tried a histamine-free diet for four weeks, and 68%, about two-thirds of the participants, knocked their, their headaches down by 50%. That's a, just a huge reduction. Histamine, as evidenced by the use of antihistamines, increases inflammation. Fish, cheese, hard-cured sausages, pickled cabbage, and alcoholic beverages were avoided in the histamine-free diet. And that's what made that huge difference, a 50% reduction in two-thirds of the people who did this. Might be worth trying if migraines are making your life miserable. Here's a list of foods and how much histamine they have in them. Swiss cheese is the highest on this list. Uh, this is derived from Journal of American Journal of Clinical Nutrition Study. Sardines, then cheddar, then mackerel, then champagne, camembert cheese, gouda, salami. You get the idea. Cheese and meat are the, the main ones, and tuna and fermented ham are there too. A lot of fermented foods are the worst for histamine, and of course, cheese is sort of a fermented food, isn't it? And I don't know... Why, well, I guess the sardines and mackerels just naturally contain histamine. They're not fermented. Another amine that can trigger migraines is tyramine. And it's found in some of the same foods. Aged cheese, cured meat, smoked fish, beer, fermented food, and yeast extract. Tyramine directly increases the release of norepinephrine. This is a, a kind of a fight or flight stress hormone that can trigger a migraine directly. 
So we want to stay away from these if we are prone to migraines. And it's possible that you could go back and eat some of these foods. Uh, outside of the yeast extract, I can't see anything on this list that's going to be very healthy in any other way. Aspartame can trigger migraines. Now, the studies are showing that people had to drink four plus cans of soda getting you know, 1,000 to 3,000 milligrams per day of aspartame before it triggered headaches. But there have been many reports of neurologic or behavioral symptoms with aspartame over the years. Uh, so you may want to avoid uh, this type of uh, artificial sweetener, such as NutraSweet, and see if that can reduce your migraines. Some people habitually drink a six pack over a day of diet sodas. And so if you're one of those people who do that, you might try switching to another type of drink that doesn't trigger your migraines. That could be a good idea. I mentioned MSG as a trigger and the chief excitatory neurotransmitter is glutamate and this is monosodium glutamate. So they're closely related. MSG can activate a neurotransmission pathway. Now nitric oxide is put into cells to uh, open up the blood vessels, actually to supply. When a nerve cell is used, it can signal to surrounding blood vessels to increase nitric oxide, which then opens the blood vessels and the nerve can get blood so it can regenerate itself. But these open blood vessels can contribute to inflammatory neuropeptides and lead to migraines. So it's important that you avoid MSG and it can be confusing because it can be labeled differently on different packages. They, packagers of food have learned that if they put MSG on a package, a lot of people won't buy it. So they used sneaky other labels. Again, if you find a food that triggers a migraine, stay away from it. Some of the names that can be used for MSG are hydrolyzed vegetable protein or autolyzed yeast, sodium caseinate, yeast extract, textured vegetable protein, or calcium caseinate. A lot of these come from yeast or yeast derivatives. Again, from the uh, journal Headache. Now nitrite, I mentioned, is the red substance they add to meat to make it red and uh, less deadly. It's a preservative. It can prevent botulism and it adds kind of a smoked flavor. Some foods with nitrates like sausages or cured meat or smoked fish, people can develop migraines within minutes to hours. So this can act rather quickly. So check ingredients for sodium nitrate, sodium nitrite, potassium nitrite or nitrate. And again, nitric acid vasodilatation, which means the opening up of the arteries, can be the mechanism that this works. Um, nitrite is very harmful in many other ways too, as I mentioned. Good to stay away from red meat for that reason and quite a few others. Taking a look at some of these triggers, uh, ice cream in children triggered 55% of them to get migraines. Alcohol, 43%. Alcohol has histamine and beer contains also tyramine. Chocolate triggered 21% and red, red meat uh, triggered about 17% of people to get migraines. It has histamine, tyramine, and nitrite in it. Cheese has histamine and tyramine, and caffeine has none of these things, but can trigger a migraine. 
MSG, 12%, aspartame. So you can get an idea how prevalent these are and how important they are for you to experiment with. Fish, if it's smoked, has all three, histamine, tyramine, and nitrite, and pickled food. My goal here in telling you about this is so that you can avoid foods that trigger your migraines and get fewer migraines, many fewer migraines, perhaps even no migraines. Red wine's a pretty common trigger for migraine. And it either can trigger a migraine within hours or minutes, or it can trigger it during a hangover. I mentioned that it contains tyramine, sulfites, and histamine. Well, I didn't mention the sulfites. There's something else in wine that can trigger headaches. Uh, alcohol hangovers can definitely trigger, and that's possibly through the opening up of the blood vessels. So intracranial vasodilatation is another way to say opening blood vessels in the brain. And inflammation can occur with increased, increased cytokines and also leukotrienes, which are inflammatory and they're inflammatory uh, substances made from the arachidonic acid found in animal fat. And of course, magnesium depletion. Um, any diuretic substance like red wine can deplete magnesium. Watch out for caffeine. It's real common. And it's found in prescription medications and many drinks. Uh, Excelderin and Anacin are famous for having caffeine. It increases vasoconstriction and releases excitatory transmitters, which can trigger a migraine. But when a migraine is ongoing, sometimes it can constrict the arteries and make it so that you release less inflammatory neuropeptides and get a milder headache. So you're going to have to experiment with yourself and see if this is helpful or harmful. In between sections here, I have soothing pictures for your brain so that we can reduce the excitatory neurotransmitter and increase the relaxing ones. This is Flat Rock Pool, which is about perhaps 150 yards from where I'm sitting right now on Maui. Again, my book, Mastering Migraines, available on drsteveblake.com. I hope that you can help. I want to mention that I've made my book under $10 so that you can get the ebook version without any financial suffering. And I want you to have these solutions to help your migraines. Now let's talk about some solutions. Ginger to treat migraines. This graph up here, the red and the tryptan. This is a blinded randomized clinical trial with 100 migraine patients. Ginger worked as well as sumatriptan. They used 250 milligrams of ginger powder, and that's about a quarter teaspoon or five cents worth resulted in 44% of the people becoming migraine free and 56% of the people having mild pain. So it reduced pain in everyone and 44% of the people did not get a migraine. Sumatriptan can have side effects that range from mild to death. Ginger side effects included beneficial side effects, reduction of blood sugar, normalizing of blood pressure and lowering of fats in the bloodstream. And it costs just pennies. Certainly something you could try. Now, ginger is a little bit spicy and it's rare, but some people may react to it with a little overstimulation of their stomach. So make sure it works for you. Uh, it is a very common spice. So it's tried by a lot of people. 
But these numbers are amazing. 44% migraine free from ginger powder, just a quarter teaspoon of the powder. How does this work? How, how can this possibly work? One thing that ginger does is it reduces calcitonin gene-related peptide. I've talked about these neuropeptides and the neuropeptides are released with inflammation and can trigger the migraine. They, ginger reduces inflammation and a pain similar to sumatriptan. Another way that ginger reduces inflammation is by reducing leukotrienes and pain-causing prostaglandins. And it does this by inhibiting COX-1. Now, COX-1 stands for cyclooxygenase 1. And this is exactly what's blocked by aspirin and Advil and many of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. So ginger works as an anti-inflammatory medication, even though it's a plant root. Feverfew has been used for centuries for migraine. It's not a new phenomenon for humans after all. It's happened long before drugs were invented. My favorite type of trials are clinical trials. This one's a multi-centered, double-blind, placebo-controlled study with 170 participants. And they used a feverfew extract so that it was standardized amounts of feverfew. And they used uh, six milligrams three times a day of feverfew. They did find a very significant and clinically relevant reduction in migraine frequency. And they found that feverfew was well-tolerated. Unusually, the American Academy of Neurology concluded that feverfew is probably effective for migraine prevention. This is very rare because usually this Academy of Neurology, which is perhaps uh, funded partially by pharmaceutical companies, does not commonly recommend medical plants uh, instead of drugs. So I see that as a good sign. The mechanism by how feverfew may prevent migraines could be related to the active ingredients, which are known as parthenolides, inhibiting platelet aggregation. They also release, they inhibit serotonin release from platelets uh, and white blood cells. So feverfew is anti-inflammatory. One way it works is through the inhibition of phospholipase A. So phospholipase A is an enzyme that our cells have. Our cell membranes are made up of phospholipids, and these have two fatty acids each, little tails sticking into the cell membrane. The fatty acids tend to be long-chain fatty acids, and in many people who eat animal fat, arachidonic acid is one of the predominant uh, fatty acids. Arachidonic acid goes on to create inflammatory leukotrains and pain-causing prostaglandins. So if less of this phospholipase A takes less of the arachidonic acid out of your cell membranes, then you have less eicosanoid synthesis, which means less inflammatory leukotrains and less pain-causing prostaglandins. I'm trying to make this understandable and yet also science-based. So you don't need to remember phospholipase A, but you can remember that feverfew has been shown to work for migraines. I'm gonna talk about a different medical plant now, butterbur. It's got a nice name, Cascites hybridus, root extract is what is used in most of the studies. It's thought to act through calcium channel regulation. Calcium channels in nerves are very important for inflammation and excitation. Now, butterbur was also found to inhibit leukotriene inflammation. 
uh, just like feverfew and several other things. These leukotrienes promote the inflammatory cascade associated with migraine. And one of the most effective ways to reduce leukotrienes is to reduce animal fat intake. I take in none myself. Undesirable pyrolizidine alkaloids are removed in some commercially available preparations. And I would only recommend that you take butterbur that has the pyrolizidine alkaloids removed. Please do not take any that don't say that they've removed the pyrolizidine alkaloids because over time they can lead to liver toxicity and we certainly don't want any harm. In a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial using real humans, uh, 50 milligrams of butterbur extract twice daily had a significantly reduced number of migraine attacks and migraine days per month. This is just what we want. Another randomized trial of 245 patients they used 75 milligrams twice daily instead of 50, and it decreased the number of monthly migraine attacks. So butterbur may be an effective tool that you can consider if you're getting migraines that are disrupting your life and are, are painful and hard on your career and your family and everything else. One more test in children. They took 109 children and adolescents with migraines, and 77% of all of these children reported a reduction in migraine frequency of at least 50%. This is pretty powerful stuff, even though it is a medical plant. I regret to say that in America, neurologists and general practitioners tend not to recommend or prescribe any medical plant whatsoever. In Europe, they do. In China, they do. In Africa and many other places in the world, they do recommend medical plants. They're, of course, much cheaper than drugs, more available, often have fewer side effects. Uh, so uh, you may consider this, even though your neurologist may not have had time or training in medical plants to help you with this one. Again, more of these plants can be found in my Mastering Migraines Prevention and Relief book found on drsteveblake.com. Another plant, uh, ginkgo, is a favorite. I used ginkgo in a clinical trial on dementia that it's called a Hawaii Dementia Prevention Trial. You can actually look this up and get the paper. I was lead author of the paper too, and I ran the trial with a large team. We used more than ginkgo in the trial, of course, but ginkgo by itself is very helpful because it opens up blood vessels in the brain. In this trial, they use the ginkgo biloba terpenes with a little coenzyme Q10 and vitamin B2. I mentioned vitamin B2 before, that's riboflavin. For four months, the number of migraines dropped by two thirds and 42% became migraine free. No more migraines. It's a pipe dream for people with migraines, but perhaps it could happen. Another study with the same formula for three months cut migraine frequency in half in school children. And the, uh, the studies are listed below, and um, in Neurological Sciences uh, has reported both of these studies, one in 2009 and one in 2011. Lavender has a lovely smell, and they put 10 drops of lavender in water, the lavender oil, and it reduced headache severity. At the start of the trial, the headaches were the same in the lavender people and the control people. After the first month, they'd gone down from five a month to four a month. In the third month, they'd gone down from just, uh, well, actually, excuse me, I'm comparing controls with treatment. They started at seven 
migraine per month. That's just too many. It's very disruptive. And then the group with the lavender went down to four after the first month and went down to just over three by the third month. So that's, that's pretty good. The cutting the frequency in half. And uh, there have also been studies with uh, lavender oil inhalation, where you put a few drops of lavender oil, perhaps in warm water and inhale the steam. And that can uh, be relief in a very quick and pleasant manner. The Neuroscience Nutrition Foundation uh, was established for us to be able to devote our time to this type of research. We're not studying drugs, so we're not getting funding by drug companies. And we depend on you to fund the Neuroscience Nutrition Foundation. If it's possible for you to donate, neurosciencenutrition.org would appreciate it. We would all appreciate it so that we can continue finding good solutions that are never harmful and well-researched for all the neurologic disorders. Thank you. Ah, another pretty picture of the sailboat sojourn, just to relax us between sections. Natural remedies for migraines. Magnesium is the chief one, very, very important. Studies have shown that migraineurs have low brain, excuse me, have low brain magnesium during migraine attacks. In a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, this gold-plated trial, magnesium supplementation reduced migraine frequency 42%. Now, right there, if you're getting several migraines a month and it cuts it down that much, that's, that's really good. Now, it's true that excessive migraine, excessive magnesium is laxative. Uh, you can limit the amount of magnesium that you take. Uh, most people find three or 400 milligrams per day not to be laxative, uh, but people vary. And also sprays and lotions are available. There are foot soaks of magnesium in many different ways that you can get magnesium into your body. Uh, they make oils and lotions with magnesium in them for treatment. Also, they have a spray of magnesium that people are using frequently to during migraines to help reduce the severity of the migraine. Not a lot of studies on this, but uh, I have a couple here, one from the journal Nutrients in 2022 on magnesium and uh, another one from cephalalgia. This is a migraine devoted to headache pain. Study looked at a combination of three things. Magnesium, 5-HTP is hydroxytryptophan. So the essential amino acid tryptophan can be converted to 5-HTP, and then it, it can be converted further. Uh, but in this case, they just use magnesium, 5-HTP, and feverfew. Combining these therapies, cut in half or more, uh, the bar on the left is the number of days per month went down from nine to three. How does that sound? Pretty good. Nine migraines a month. It's just really going to make your life miserable. Three is still too many, but that's less than one a week. And perhaps you can cope with your job and your family. The number of attacks per month um, reduced from six to two and a half. Oh, excuse me, the first bar is the number of days per month, not the number of attacks per month. So it went down from nine days per month from, to three days per month. And this is with this combination. The number of attacks per month went down from six to a little over two, better than half. 
the pain intensity was also cut more than in half. And the number of analgesics, pain-killing medications that people needed went from over nine to about two. So it cut them down to a quarter. It's one way you know people are feeling less pain if they're reaching less often for the pain relief bottle. So this combination is known as Orastop, and it's a patented uh, remedy that is available. Magnesium reduces excitability in the brain. This is well established. It blocks the excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate, and it does this by blocking a calcium channel in a receptor for glutamate. The receptor is N-methyl-D-aspartate. Magnesium influences the serotonin receptors, nitric oxide synthesis, and inflammation. Magnesium is really powerful, and you, I think it's an essential nutrient. Okay, I wrote a college textbook for McGraw-Hill called Vitamins and Minerals Demystified. And in it, I outlined the essential nutrients, both vitamins and minerals. And there's no doubt magnesium is an essential macro mineral that we need every day. And there's no doubt from analyzing diets that many diets are low in magnesium. Perhaps just those diets where people get more mag migraines. Here's some fun magnesium sources. Spinach, 157 milligrams. And we need about a thousand a day. That's the recommended amount for adults. Uh, sunflower seeds, 117 milligrams, and peanut butter, 102 milligrams. These are some fun ways to get magnesium. I also supplement magnesium as a precaution, so I never get low. I also analyze diets with my uh, Diet Doctor software program, which I designed and use all the time to analyze diets. When I analyze diets like the Atkins diet or the paleo diet, I find that magnesium is very low in these diets. Uh, magnesium is a central atom in chlorophyll. And when people eat more green vegetables, they tend to get more magnesium. But as you can see, it's also found in nuts and seeds and uh, mostly in other plant foods. There's some other ways to deal with migraine remedies. Uh, acupuncture may be helpful. If you haven't tried it and you're not afraid of needles, you could consider acupuncture for migraines. Some people find it helpful and other people don't. Massage can be helpful for migraines, keeping those stress levels down. Self-massage, just rubbing your own neck and relaxing the muscles going up into your head can be very, very helpful if you're starting to feel overstressed and that can trigger a migraine. Aerobic exercise, of course, is helpful and necessary for good health. Biofeedback is where you use a machine. Uh, one of them is thermal, and you can put a little clip on your fingertip, and it will judge your temperature of your finger. When you're more relaxed, there's more blood flow to your finger, so it gets warmer. And so you can learn to relax yourself by watching the temperature of your finger. Uh, also, progressive relaxation can be good. If you need more relaxation. Progressive relaxation is where you tighten, say, your foot and then relax it and breathe deeply. And then you tighten your ankle and relax it and breathe deeply. One of my books available on my website is Healing Medicine. It's available in ebook or paper format. And it's called Healing Medicine. It has a chapter on stress relief. And I describe progressive relaxation in there. Uh, I hope enough to introduce you to the subject. It's available on drsteveblake.com. I do want to mention yoga because many people find yoga very relaxing. 
watch out for postures where you're inverted, you know, like standing on your head, because there's possibility that could trigger a migraine. So you may want to do only standing and sitting exercises when you do yoga, in, unless those aren't a bother for you. Here's some quick migraine remedies. When you're in pain, it's really nice to have something that can help right away. You can massage temples with a drop of essential oil. Now, peppermint can be a little bit hot and uh, but very stimulating, and it can draw the blood from inside out to the skin. You may see some redness of your skin and, and it, it may be too much for you, but it may feel kind of cool, hot and tingly. Uh, also, lavender oil is very gentle on the skin and can help. It's anti-inflammatory, lavender oil. And blue chamomile oil contains azulin, a blue anti-inflammatory substance. It's very anti-inflammatory. Blue chamomile oil is wonderful. The smell alone will make you feel better. And when you rub it on your temples, it can relax you and the smell relaxes you and it reduces inflammation all at once. I know this is going to sound almost silly, but paste on the forehead, lemon peel mash. Okay, that's uh, kind of out there. Uh, I got this from a comprehensive review uh, by some Indian researchers in the Indo-American Journal of Pharmaceutical Research. And I've also experimented with these and talked to people where these things actually help. For instance, cabbage leaf mash, you wouldn't think that cabbage leaves have much power, but I have seen scientific studies where they did cabbage leaf wraps on osteoarthritis knees and found that they reduced pain and inflammation quite a bit. So even though it sounds kind of silly, a cabbage leaf mash, you chop it up and make a mash, you can use it raw or cooked, can have an effect. Evening primrose oil massaged into the forehead might have an effect. Evening primrose oil contains gamma linolenic acid. Gamma linolenic acid can be transformed into eicosanoids in the body that may relieve inflammation and pain. Also, you can take a bowl of steaming water and put coriander seeds or lavender or rosemary essential oils and inhale the steam. All of these work very quickly so that you can get something that helps you perhaps while you're waiting for your medications to kick in. Kind of fun ideas that are a little outside the box. There are two heating balms that can be put on the forehead. Don't get them near your eyes because they'll definitely sting. Uh, tiger balm, the white tiger balm seems to be the best for headaches. Some people like the red tiger balm. Both of them give pain relief in seconds. And the cayenne heat ointment made by Christopher uh, is available online usually only, but I've found that for years to be the most effective heating balm for the forehead. Again, don't get it near your eyes or other sensitive areas, or you'll you realize the power of medical plants. Some people use emergency as a drink, and that can help with pain and discomfort and make you feel better. Uh, it seems to really help with headaches. Now, we sometimes use the emergency brand packets but because they're very convenient, you can carry them with you and just put them in water and let them fizz for a minute. But I find them a bit over flavored. So you can make it yourself with a quarter teaspoon of ascorbic acid crystals and an eighth teaspoon of baking soda in a glass of water, let them fizz for a while. And I find it kind of a ref refreshing uh, drink that 
eases pain and it seems to make me feel a lot better. Uh, certainly vitamin C is an essential nutrient and very good for you in many ways. So we're recommending something here that is only gonna have positive side effects. This is the ascorbated form of vitamin C. Ascorbated means it's no longer acidic. Ascorbic acid is pH three like lemon juice and can be too acidic for your stomach. So large amounts can cause diarrhea, but the ascorbated form has not been found to bother people's stomach, which is why I recommend this form. What about energy production and migraines? They've looked at people with migraines and they've seen that they have a reduction in mitochondrial activity. The little energy factories in our cells are suppressed between headaches. So there are some supplements that increase energy production, including riboflavin, which is vitamin B2, and coenzyme Q10. This is an image of my book, Vitamins and Minerals Demystified by McGraw-Hill. And if you're curious about vitamins and minerals, how they work, the essential micro and macronutrients, uh, please uh, read through it. It even has quizzes, midterms, and a final exam for <laughs> to check if you absorbed everything properly. I really wish this could be incorporated into medical school curriculum and nursing school curriculum. And I have tried, but I have not found any success in doing so yet. So riboflavin, vitamin B2, is essential for brain membrane stability and the maintenance of energy in the brain. This particular B vitamin is safe with no upper limit set that is not found to cause harm. For example, vitamin B6 does have a safe upper limit. A well-designed randomized controlled trial evaluated riboflavin for migraines. They use 400 milligrams of riboflavin. This is more than you'll find in a standard multivitamin for three months and it resulted in a 50% reduction in attacks in 59% of patients. This is a huge amount of relief for a safe vitamin. The placebo eased them 15% of the people had relief with the placebo, but 50% of the people who took the riboflavin had a reduction in attacks, uh, a 50% reduction in attacks in 59% of people. In other words, a huge reduction. Chances are this could be helpful for you. How does riboflavin work? It plays a vital role in the elimination of toxins and drugs. And as I mentioned, many drugs can increase migraine frequency and severity. Riboflavin is needed to recharge antioxidants. If you get a lot of oxidation in the brain, this and inflammation are tightly related. Inflammation leads to oxidation and oxidation can lead to inflammation. So reducing inflammation by recharging glutathione is one of the ways riboflavin can reduce headaches. I mentioned that riboflavin is essential for energy production and it can reduce inflamed brain membranes. Remember that's part of the process of migraines. And you may have noticed that uh, many people with migraines have a sensitivity to light. And you know, so hiding under a blanket for hours or days uh, cuts down on that light. Riboflavin reduces sensitivity to light. And uh, in fact, one of the deficiency symptoms of riboflavin deficiency is sensitivity to light. Now I'm gonna talk about CoQ10 for a minute. Coenzyme Q10 is essential in energy production. We make it in our bodies, we may not make enough. They tried it on 31 patients with migraines. They use 150 milligrams daily of CoQ10, which 
this not a, a large amount. We used CoQ10 in our Hawaii dementia prevention trial as well. So 61% of the migraine migraineurs had a 50% reduction in migraine days without significant adverse effects. I've seen CoQ10 used in many studies for many problems and adverse effects are not common. Of course, because we make it in our bodies, it's a normal thing for our bodies. Supplementation was effective within the first month of therapy. And it also could be helpful for pediatric migraine. Unfortunately, kids get migraines too. And CoQ10 may be a safe way to do that. This is from the study in cephalalgia. Uh, it's called Open Label Trial of Quinzyme Q10 as a Migraine Preventative. Another study, four months of treatment, showed promising, promising results for prevention of migraines in adults. So again, CoQ10 is for prevention, not for treatment. And the American Academy of Neurology concluded that Quinzyme Q10 is possibly effective for migraine. And this is a real coup because they don't say that lightly. It's not a drug. One more alpha lipoic acid in migraine, 29% reduction in migraine attack frequency. Alpha lipoic acid is not an essential nutrient, but it might increase energy production in the cells. And they, they use a rather large amount, 600 milligrams daily for three months. I can't stop without mentioning vitamin D. It reduced attacks in this study. They used 2000 IUs of vitamin D for two months every day, and then they reduced it to, to uh, 800 IUs. Uh, this was in children with migraines, and it, it really helped. It reduced attacks per month from 12 to five and cut the severity in half, the tremendous effect. Not all studies on vitamin D show this big of an effect. Uh, Here's another pretty picture. This is in the Sea of Cortez, a place called the waiting room. So I will just have one more section. I'm gonna talk about reducing inflammation. Omega-3s are very important. Omega-3s reduce inflammation and certain omega-6s, excesses or the arachidonic acid form from animal fat increase inflammation. They increase inflammation and pain. So we wanna reduce that. And after 12 weeks, patients who had both reduced their omega-6 and increased their omega-3 had a nice reduction in their greater improvement in their migraines. The omega-6 thromboxanes can also constrict cranial arteries, helping to trigger a migraine. Uh, this subject is rather complicated. And if you wanna know more about omega-3s and omega-6s and all of their me metabolic products, uh, you could read my textbook also on my website, drsteveblake.com, also for under $10, Fats and Oils Demystified. And in this, I talk about how omega-3s and omega-6s work. So the uh, omega-6s, uh, whether from excessive food oils or from turkey, chicken, eggs, and other animal fat, create arachidonic acid in our bodies, which are processed by this lipoxygenase enzyme to create pain and inflammation. On the contrary, flax seeds, if you grind up organic flax seeds and eat a tablespoon to a, two tablespoons per day, they reduce pain and inflammation through a similar pathway, but uh, opposite effect. So the Advil and the Celebrex are there to block the cyclooxygenase and lipoxygenase enzymes that create pain and inflammation 
or you could just not eat arachidonic acid by avoiding all animal fat. Um, so we can just eat the omega-based omega-3s and right and just and the omega-6s and make the right amount of EPA and arachidonic acid if we're well nourished. And again, my book, Fats and Oils Demystified, available here on my website, uh, can tell you all about that if you're interested in this subject. Also, chia seeds and hemp seeds are helpful with omega-3s too. Quercetin is found in all of these wonderful foods, uh, red onions and red grapes and apples and berries and beans. And quercetin also reduces phospholipase to reduce the amount of inflammation in the body. Turmeric is very helpful uh, to fight inflammation and also the cruciferous vegetables such as kale, cabbage, green tea and Brussels sprouts and broccoli. Green tea, of course, is not a cruciferous vegetable, but it got in this list. Uh, they can inhibit inflammation and quite powerfully. Unfortunately, there are foods that increase inflammation. The endotoxins that are found in meat, chicken, and dairy products, they, two hours after a meal high in animal saturated fat, inflammation is raised in the entire body. Our immune system sees these endotoxins and they, our immune system has surveillance cells. Uh, they're called, um, well, there's, there's two, two different, um, they're not actually cells, they're receptors on cells. And um, the cluster of differentiation 14 is the, the one that um, on the blood-brain barrier senses this inflammatory substances and triggers inflammation in the brain. And toll-like receptor four is a cell receptor that senses that you've eaten animal products and increases inflammation throughout the entire body because they're worried that you have an inflammatory attack of bacteria. What can you do? Well, don't eat animal fat. Um, glutamate is the chief exciting neurotransmitter. And I do wanna mention that there's a substance in it called apigenin, uh, that it, substance in certain plants called apigenin, such as passionflower and chamomile and hispidulin in skullcap that reduce this excitation of the brain. As I mentioned, be careful with skullcap. It can make you sleepy, take only before bed. And passion flower also can make you relax or even a little sleepy. And chamomile makes a wonderful tea that can reduce the excitatory neurotransmitter. And this is from a journal Drugs. And the title of this, this is Glutamate Receptor Antagonist in the Management of Migraine. In other words, they block the glutamate. Apigenin, again, is found in passion flower and chamomile, and it can block the canate receptors to prevent generation of migraines anti-excitotoxicity effects, also very valuable in epilepsy. Hispidulin is another plant flavonoid found in skullcap and rosary, rosemary. Uh, rosemary is a wonderful addition to food. You can use it as a spice. And I mentioned skullcap as a tea, use the leaves and take it only before bed. They enhance the brain quieting neurotransmitter GABA. So to sum up, talk, and thanks for your patience in listening to this comprehensive survey of safe, well-researched ways to reduce your migraine pain and frequency. Learn your triggers, whether they're foods or odors, learn your triggers. You may want to use an elimination diet and a migraine diary, diary so that you can identify your triggers. 
Make sure to get good sleep with no skipped meals because those are very common triggers for migraines. You can consider ginger root tea instead of the ginger powder that's used in the studies or, or the ginger powder. And you could put some skullcap leaves in the ginger root tea if you're drinking it before bed. Ginger root tea is typically made by uh, decocting it. In other words, you slice the ginger root up fresh, put it in water and simmer it at very low heat for perhaps 10 or 20 minutes until you get a spicy tea that uh, can be sweetened. To reduce excitation of your brain, use stress control techniques, avoid stressful situations that can trigger a migraine. I know that's not always easy or possible. I talked about feverfew and butterbur without the pyrolizidines. And those can be very helpful and have been found to be in clinical trials. Magnesium is crucial and vitamin B2 for migraine reduction in frequency and severity and coenzyme Q10 can be very helpful. And regular aerobic exercise is good. I took a run yesterday to keep my aerobic exercise up. Remember, you might be able to reduce your migraine frequency from three migraines per week to one every other month or perhaps even dream to eliminate them. Skip meals or trigger for 56%. Remember not to skip those meals. Avoid perfume and paint fumes. Try and lose weight. If you're overweight, that can really help. Watch out for histamine in things like red meat and beer. And ginger powder resulted in 44% of people migraine-free. Vitamin B2, 51% had a 50% reduction. Quenzyme Q10, again, almost two thirds had half the migraine days. And Butterbur knocked it down to half the frequency of migraines. Well, I wanna thank you. You've been a very patient audience and uh, I will be available for questions for the next half hour or so. Sorry about that. All right, so well, thank you so much for that very impressive, uh, that very impressive and thorough presentation. I'm gonna definitely be adding some of those things to, to, uh, to my diet as well. Um, so real quickly, we're going to begin the, uh, the live Q and a session. I just want to go over a, a few things for the audience. So they know how to, uh, how to ask questions. Um, we don't take questions directly from the chat. What we do is we ask everyone to raise their hand in zoom. If you're not familiar with how to do that, you just click on the reactions button second from the right at the bottom of the zoom window. And then you click on the raise hand function in the pop-up menu. When I call your name, I will unmute you and prompt you to state where you're from and to ask your question. And we just ask that you keep questions brief and on topic. And I see that we have a hand raised. So let's go to Bex. Please state where you're from and ask your question. Yes, hello. Thank you very much, doctor. I appreciate uh, everything that you've shared. I'm in Los Angeles and I try to incorporate many of these things into my diet while I'm not a migraine sufferer, thankfully. Um, for those that are, is it advised to just try one of those remedies or are you suggesting sort of a cocktail of them all? Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, I think that depends on just how bad the migraine is. Uh, migraines can be really, really awful uh, with the nausea, the sensitivity to light, the inability to move hardly at all, uh, and not to mention the pain in the head. Uh, I think most migraineurs use multiple ways to help. And 
of course, if you try one thing at a time, you can see what's helping and what's not helping. So it, from a scientific standpoint, that's good. But if you're really suffering, then uh, it's possible to combine these things and uh, load them on. Uh. <laughs> Does, um, I'm not sure if, I, if, if you said anything about this in the presentation, I, I don't recall seeing it. it um, how about salt? How is salt uh, have, have an impact as far as headache, you know, blood pressure, that type of thing? Um, should we look well, to reduce salt in general? Yeah, sodium is not related to migraine headaches, um, but tension headaches, perhaps, because of potential raise in blood pressure. Uh, again, salt's just one of those things that we do need about, you know, one gram of sodium a day, but we don't want to go over three grams of sodium a day. So we want to keep it in range. And here in the tropics in Maui, if we exercise a lot, we do need a little bit more of the electrolytes. Uh, however, in a cold climate, when you're not exercising much, then you want to keep it down to the 1000 milligrams or one gram of sodium per day and limit your salt intake. Interesting to note, however, Michael, that 80% of our intake of sodium is from packaged foods, 80% soups and, and crackers and bread and, and all of these things that we buy in packages uh, really contribute the most to sodium intake in general. Only 10% is added in the kitchen and only 10% is added at the table. So I think that it's okay to salt your food at the table to taste because your body knows if you're low in electrolytes and you're only going to add 10% of the yeah, amount that would be too much uh, at the table anyway. So there's some tips on sodium for you. Great, thank you. And what about, I mean, you went over a whole list of, of you know, various things, ginger and, and, and whatnot in, in all different areas of the, the presentation. If you had to sum up what people should do, you know, for migraines or just in general, as far as um, supplementing their diet, what, what would be the top, um, you know, five or so um, uh, supplements for adults as well as for children? Well, there are essential nutrients, and I think we should cover those first. Uh, there are essential vitamins and there are essential minerals, and we need to get all of those. And some diets provide um, most of the essential nutrients, but it is very rare for me to analyze a diet that contains all of the essential nutrients in the amounts needed. And some diets are really terrible, like the Atkins diet was the worst in vitamin E and vitamin C, two crucial nutrients. However, but 93% of Americans don't get the bare minimum 15 milligrams of vitamin E. And this number has been going up, not down, as I analyze diets and read studies of analyzed diets. So we, we're definitely going to need to supplement with the essential vitamins. Unfortunately, and again, based upon my college textbook by McGraw-Hill, Vitamins and Minerals Demystified, each of the vitamins needs to be taken in the right form and the right amount. In most of them, there's too much and too little. And you know, some of them, like I mentioned, vitamin B2 riboflavin, too much is not a problem. But uh, pyridoxine, vitamin B6, there is a problem. You shouldn't go over 100 milligrams daily. And I like to keep safe at 50 milligrams of supplementation. And there are specific forms of each of these. Uh, there are no vitamins that you really want to miss. What I did during the Hawaii Dementia Prevention Trial is we had specific supplements made for the trial and they included the essential nutrients, 
many of the people we were seeing at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience heard about the trial, the success of the trial, that people were getting better, not worse, and they wanted those supplements, but we couldn't give them to anyone who wasn't in the trial. So I made this brain and body food formula, uh, and it's really a bother getting the manufacturers to put real vitamin E in rather than the fake junk that is in virtually every supplement you've ever seen. They use a vitamin E that is a mix of synthetic uh, products, only one of one eighth of which is real alpha tocopherol, and none of which are beta, gamma, or delta tocopherol, or any tocotrienols for that matter either. So what they're giving you is a lot of analogs of vitamin E that are going to go to a brain cell and try and protect it, and they don't work because they're fake synthetic analogs. So uh, in the brain and body food, I did put in all of the essential vitamins and minerals, and I take it, and a lot of other people do too. It is available on my website. Uh, I would rather not have to go to the bother of making this supplement, but I can't find one I'll take otherwise. As you can imagine, I'm uh, rather critical when I go down the shelf of a store, and being polite, I don't throw them on the floor where they belong. <laughs> sure, they appreciate that, Steve. Yeah. All right. So um, did you have anything else to say on that? Or you want me to go to the next question? I, I think we can go to the next question. I see several hands raised. Sure. So uh, next question is coming from Bill. Where are you from? And what's your question? Are you saying Bill Best? That, Bill Best. That's, that's me. It, it's really Bobby Best because I wanted to listen on my phone and watch on my screen. But I'm from Maui. And a long time ago, I got a I think it was like a mimeograph cookbook. It was just a, a small amount of pages that your wife put together. And I wonder if she has a more updated cookbook. It was, I loved that <laughs> carrot soup recipe. And well, I have another question oh, too. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, can I let my wife answer that? Here she is. <laughs> okay. Come on in closer on, there, hon. Nice hear from you. Uh, Yes, uh, thank you. I have updated. I have a couple now. Healthy Recipes for Friends is now enlarged. It's over 100 pages with great recipes. All the ones included in the original one that you got are I also them there. Yes, these are the winning <laughs> recipes. And then I have a Vegan Recipes for Friends cookbook, which is great. It talks about the role of dairy and how that can be damaging. It's not specifically for migraines, but people who are trying to get off meat and wondering how they can make their food better uh, can use healthy recipes for friends or vegan recipes for friends cookbooks and get great recipes, great ideas, and great help. And there are two more cookbooks. Well, I also have a Parkinson's disease cookbook, which is oh, wonderful for people excellent. who want to have less uh, protein. It is one of the factors and less uh, pesticides in their food. I discussed that in length. And I have a dementia prevention cookbook, the dementia prevention cookbook, Ooh. which is particularly helpful for people who are wanting to get the right amount of saturated fats, which means not too much. And I discussed that and there are charts in there for that. So she made that cookbook for the Hawaii dementia prevention trial and printed and gave them to the participants. So and then enlarged it much after that, too. So for the audience, can you say your whole name? Uh, Catherine Blake. And okay. I'm are available on drsteveblake.com and okay. you can get paper or under $10 ebooks. You know, as a vegan, it's hard to find tasty recipes that I can give to 
company when they come over. That's I why I like that. I try to find recipes that are satisfying nutritionally. I, yeah. I analyze yeah. the nutrients in a lot right. of my recipes and delicious enough for my husband to say he likes them twice yeah. or three times in a row and that I can share with friends. A lot of them are easy to make for people who are new at this and some are a little bit more fancy like with breadfruit, ulu or, or other things. And all are, of her recipes oh. and all of her cookbooks are vegan. Yes, that's true. Excellent. That's true. Thank, Thank you. you, Catherine. Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you, you, when you said salt, it reminded me, sometimes I do a little, I have styrofoam weights that I take into the swimming pool or the ocean. And the swimming pool here is chlorinated. The ocean is not as clean as we would like it to be. What do you say? I think swimming is really great. I know the smell of chlorine really puts me off in pools. Uh, where are you in Maui? Ma'alaya. Okay, so you're pretty far from pools to swim in. Um, but uh, the stream pools here are really great to swim in. Luckily, we're real close to one here. Uh -huh. And there are areas of the ocean that are cleaner. And just you can actually check the surf reports on Maui to find which beaches are cleaner. Uh, the surf action or excessive rain can make some sometimes the water worse. I do prefer salt water to the chlorine smell, but swimming is such a great exercise. I really encourage it. Yeah, well, I, I do see the reports and they say Ma'alaya is low bacteria. It's hard to believe, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for all both of you do. Thank you. Nice to hear from someone on Maui. <laughs> Aloha. All right. So the next question is coming from Deborah. Where are you from? And ask your question. Hi, I'm from uh, Florida right now. And um, my question is, um, how do you, I, I didn't quite catch whether you mentioned this at all on your um, presentation, during your presentation, but how do you um, feel about the possibility that someone is dehydrated. So I know I try to drink a lot of water and oftentimes um, if I don't drink enough water, I do get a headache. Um, so, or if I'm, you know, especially like if I go out and I'm exercising or if I go to the beach, I'm getting a lot of sun. So I'm, I'm sweating a lot. And so I'm wondering if, do you, do you advise anyone to first consider that they could be dehydrated before they go run to supplements? Well, they're two different things. Uh, hydration is especially important in Florida and Maui and other warm places where we you know, can sweat more. Uh, I did mention during my talk that dehydration is one of the very common triggers for migraines and staying hydrated is very important. Staying hydrated is more than just drinking water though. Um, after you drink enough water, the water starts not to be satisfying. And that means to me that I need some electrolytes. And for me, the solution is juicy whole fruit to get the electrolytes uh, instead of just drinking water all the time. But absolutely staying hydrated is important. Also very important for the kidneys, you know, to keep them healthy and stone-free. Right, right, thank uh, someone you. Someone asked on a, a pop-up, the wife of my, the name of my wife's book, uh, well, she has four. Um, if you go on my website, drsteveblake.com, scroll down. There's lots of books on there and look for cookbooks, uh, Vegan Recipes for Friends a cookbook, Healthy Recipes for Friends cookbook. Uh, I see there's a pop-up explaining that here now. Thank you. Okay. And next question is coming from Stephen. Where are you from? And ask your question. Buffalo. Um, 
Thank you for the presentation. My friend gets migraines, and so I'm going to present this to her. It would probably be very helpful for her, so thank you. My question is, um, when it comes to vitamin E, is are sunflower seeds and walnuts in combination a good source of vitamin E? Well, they couldn't be better. We actually <laughs> used sunflower seeds and walnuts. We used one ounce of each ground up uh, as one of the interventions in the Hawaii Dementia Prevention Trial. Uh, the sunflower seeds provide alpha tocopherol form of vitamin E, natural, of course, and the walnuts provide the gamma tocopherol form of vitamin E, along with some essential omega-3 fatty acids, uh, which are rather hard to get in the diet. Uh, I recommended that people would uh, grind them up because of much better absorption and because the people in our trial were all 65 or better, meaning that many of them had bowel pockets from poor food choices earlier in life. And so the powdered nuts and seeds were uh, acceptable. Otherwise, their doctors would tell them not to eat any nuts and seeds. So this made them both better absorbed and um, acceptable for people with different digestive tracts. Thank you. Thank you for your question. And I hope your friend gets better. I hope I can help. I'm sure you can. All right. Um, and then we have a question from Corina. Uh, please state where you're from and ask your question. Hello, I'm from Sammamish, uh, Washington State. And my question is, I just bought uh, your book about um, mastering migraines. I'm a migraine sufferer myself. And I see that every time I want to open, I have to enter this code. Is that like forever code that I will have to memorize? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, is it a, a Mac or a PC or a phone or what? Um, either ways on my laptop or on my phone, I have to enter the code every time I have to. I use, I a, free, I use a free program called uh, Sumatra PDF and uh, it okay. remembers the codes. So you okay. put it in the first time and just forget it. And uh, that should be available on different platforms. If that one doesn't work for you, there are many other programs that remember. And perhaps in the one you're using, you can ask it to remember the password. Uh, I used to put my books up without a password, but then everybody in the world read them without me getting even right. a small amount of money from it. <laughs> I understand. Thank you so much, doctor. I try yeah. to, everything you say here for me, it's true. I tried everything, migraine suffer since childhood. And right now I'm 52 years old. I would say I'm doing so much better because of the whole food plant-based and still, you know, I, I juggle in between with the foods. And That's um, fantastic. I'm glad you're yeah, feeling better. Thank you. And I also found that the estrogen, so I'm postmenopausal, full six years, but officially five. And then now I uh, wanted to try some estrogen and seems like that is helpful for me also. Good. Well, I have lots of ideas for you to continue improving, getting less migraines and less severe migraines. So uh, I'm really glad you got the book and I hope it really helps. Uh, you can, yeah. you know, leaf through it and, and find more solutions uh, <laughs> for a long time. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you for the hard work you do. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate your thanks. Okay. I just want to ask you some more general um, nutrition questions, if I may. Um, sure. This is uh, going to uh, blood sugar. So, um, you know, I've heard of a few different numbers, but what's the ideal blood sugar? That uh, that we should be going for, and and what's the best way of achieving that? 
Well, ideal blood sugar levels are between 70 milligrams per deciliter and up to 90 milligrams per deciliter. Now you're not getting up to prediabetes until you get more like a hundred. Um, but ideally it's nice to have nice stable blood sugar levels. Uh, some people are trying to uh, say, well, we need very low blood sugar, but you start getting below 70 and you can get dizzy and tired and your brain doesn't work very well because brain works on glucose. The heart actually needs glucose too. And of course, all of our cells prefer glucose as a fuel. Uh, so you, we do need it and we need to keep it in that range. The way to keep it in that range is to know the glycemic load of the foods that you're eating and not the glycemic index whatsoever. Glycemic index is very, very uh, misleading. For instance, the glycemic index would have you never eat a watermelon because it has sugar in it. And the glycemic load takes into account how much sugar is in it. And uh, actually the glycemic load is based on the glycemic index and how much you're eating. So they, they put it together for you. And when you look at the glycemic load of watermelon, you see, oh, a cup of watermelon has a tiny amount of sugar in it, even though it's fast absorbed. And that it's 99% water after all. Uh, so you're getting just this tiny amount of sugar. It's quick absorb. It makes you feel good transiently for a few minutes, but it's just not enough sugar to raise your blood sugar. So the glycemic load will tell you which foods raise blood sugar and which foods don't. So for instance, for beans, all of the legumes, they raise blood sugar very slowly. They're usually in the low, sometimes in the moderate category, depending on how they're processed. But this is never a problem for raising blood sugar we're talking about blood sugar spikes, okay? If you eat a couple of donuts, you get a blood sugar spike. After eating them, your blood sugar might be 100, 150, 200. Uh, you feel great temporarily, but this can be damaging to your bloodstream and challenging to your body to pump out the insulin and get that sugar put away either in fat cells or made into saturated fat, neither of which is desirable. So we wanna keep our glycemic load, obviously of donuts would be very high. Mm -hmm. um, whole grains are also low in glycemic load if they're really whole. Okay, whole grains means two things. Whole grain bread means ground up whole grains, which absorb rather quickly and their glycemic load can be a bit high and the blood sugar spike after them can be a bit high. But if you're talking about oatmeal or wild rice or brown rice, there's no blood sugar spike, a long controlled release of sugar into the bloodstream keeps it stable keeps your brain functioning optimally. And we have to really watch this in the Maui Memory Clinic. When people come in, they have to have stable blood sugar and not be low in blood sugar, or they test very poorly. And then we have to retest them. And our test lasts three hours. So that's really a big deal. Uh, so looking at the different foods, fruit itself does not have a very high glycemic load. Most fruits, I mean, perhaps bananas are, are in the moderate range, but especially berries are in the low range, pears, apples, many of the fruits are actually not gonna spike blood sugar because their glycemic load is low. And this of course is because two reasons. One is that they have a lot of fiber that slows absorption of the sugar. Two is they're mostly water. Well, and three is the blood sugar just doesn't spike from them. It's spread out with all the fiber. So those are the foods and vegetables of course have very little in the way of, of blood sugar spiking elements. and You'll notice if you eat just vegetables, you don't feel a boost in brain activity from glucose because there's no carbohydrates in them. 
So we do need some carbohydrates in our bodies. Uh, this is a normal food for people. And if, as long as they're slow releasing, if you look on the shelves of stores, you'll see food that is just junk everywhere. And uh, those junky foods uh, are usually very high glycemic load. They make you feel good right after you eat them, you get this sugar high, uh, sugar addiction as some authors have stated. So keeping a blood sugar stable is pretty simple, whole plant foods, end of story. Thank you. And if you eat a whole food plant-based diet, do you always get a healthy blood sugar? Well, I don't know about always. Uh, you know, it depends on the spacing of meals and what you're eating during the meal. Uh, I know a whole food plant-based diet really varies quite a lot. Uh, some people will have a smoothie with just vegetables and water and know their blood sugar is going to be dropping. Some people have a smoothie with all kinds of sugary things in it, and then their blood sugar is going to be spiking. So it, it's it's hard to tell. Um, you need to do it yourself. In fact, there are blood sugar monitors that are getting cheaper by the day. You can actually look at that. For me, I just look if my brain is drooping, I know that I'm low in blood sugar. And if my brain is spinning, then I know I've eaten something that is a little too high in glycemic load. <laughs> now, what do you, what do you, when you say drooping, you, do you mean brain fog? What do you, or do you just mean that you feel lethargic? What, what would, what is that? Slow now? brain processing, I, I think is, is how I would put it. If I get low in blood sugar, uh, I notice my, my brain, we all notice this. Of course, it's hard to notice yourself. It's easier for the caretaker to notice. In the clinic, we don't often ask the people if they get low blood sugar, we ask the caretaker. And it's always easier for other people to check because the odd part is when you're getting low blood sugar, your brain's not functioning in an optimal manner. So you may not think, oh, I have low, low blood sugar, I should eat something. Uh, so we can time our meals and a lot of people do that. and or we can have other people mention, hey, you look like you need some food. Great, thank you. The next question is gonna come from Bin Wu. Where are you from and what's your question? Very much for the good uh, education. Um, I'm from the Maryland, Baltimore. My question is, uh, I have two questions. Why is, should people either on, either on the time, on the clock, then they, the, can help reduce the uh, migraine. Another is the emotion, the positive thinking, the education for patient, maybe it's better than treat uh, nutrition. I'm not sure, I don't know, I just ask you. The emotion education is more important, control the you know, positive, always positive, the thinking is more important than nutrition. The brain. Uh, I think I see what you're saying. Um, how powerful is emotion? It's very powerful. Our perception of reality is often stronger than reality itself. Uh, you can definitely change it. And a lot of the reason why the people in the control groups uh, react to a certain treatment is emotion. And our expectations and emotions are really powerful. So I think that emotion is powerful and controlling emotion is very important. Uh, and I know that some people are better at that than others. So um, you just mentioned about uh, fruit in, in, our, our last, uh, in your last answer. Um, what, uh, so Brian Clement, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work from-, uh, from Yes, Hippocrat I know him very well. A okay. friend and a colleague, and I know his work, great work. 
Okay, so so then you must know what he says about about fruit and Absolutely. how. Yeah. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Should fruit be avoided in certain situations? You know, he I think he talks about cancer, yeast, mold, that type of thing. So, uh, what are your thoughts on on uh, on fruit? I think that Brian Clement has got a lot of good points, and with cancer. Uh, the cancer cells can be starved if blood sugar is low and it can be unpleasant for the people undergoing treatment. But uh, so this this may be in the case of cancer, I'm going to defer to Brian Clement for the amount of fruit people are going to eat in his excellent programs at Hippocrates Institute. Uh, for people who are undergoing um, an, an active yeast attack, especially if it's digestive or vaginal yeast, they probably should keep their sugar intake low. But again, the uh, berries like blueberries are very low in sugar and very high in protective paranthocyanidins. And so it might be a good idea to keep the lowest glycemic load fruits in the diet because after all, uh, we are primates. Um, however, we may struggle against that label and primates are primarily fruitarians. Uh, I know some people do take that to extremes and eat only fruit. Great. Thank you for that. Now, one supplement or, you know, one thing that I did not see you mention, I don't think during your presentation was iodine. What are your, what are your thoughts about um, iodine deficiency? Um, should we take it? And if so, do you know, um, does the brand matter or, or are all sources good? Right. Iodine is an essential mineral. Um, it's a trace mineral that is essential for human nutrition. And iodine has been largely washed out of all terrestrial areas on the planet. In other words, land masses no longer contain iodine. So food grown on land no longer contains iodine, hasn't for a long, long time. So it is something that we absolutely need to get. And uh, I do recommend that people take iodine every day. I put it in my brain and body food. And the amount of iodine uh, that's needed, I going to look here at my notes. Um, Is it in your supplement? Yeah, of course it's in my supplement because okay. 150 milligrams, micrograms, excuse me, 150 micrograms of potassium iodine is what I use in my brain and body food. And 150 micrograms is about the right amount. Again, too much iodine can cause trouble, too little, and you can have thyroid problems. Uh, I will mention though, thyroids also need selenium because the, uh, the thyroxine is made with iodine, but triiodothyronine, the active form is necessary to have selenium. And I also put selenium, of course, in the brain and body food being an essential nutrient for many other purposes, such as glutathione peroxidase. So right. we do need iodine, no doubt about it. And supplementing with it is essential. Now, some people eat seaweed, but some seaweeds can have an excess of iodine in them. And you have to be careful. So if you are eating seaweed, look it up, find out how much iodine is in it and try and keep it somewhere near the 150 micrograms per day. Great. Thank you very much for that. Um, Bill? Um, a couple Bill, Bobby. Oh, Bobby, yeah, Bobby, Bobby. I'm sorry, you keep on tricking me there, Bobby. <laughs> Um, what about nutritional yeast? Nutritional yeast is yeast that is uh, fortified with many nutrients. And it is uh, a source of B vitamins for people. And it also has other elements that can be very good for people. Um, 
in it's really unusual for people to react poorly to nutritional yeast, but it is a remote possibility. But for the vast majority of people who don't have a problem with it, nutritional yeast is a nice addition to food. I know my wife uses it in some of her recipes. And uh, like there's a cheesy, uh, creamy dressing that has no cheese in it. But yeah. the yeast provides the taste and the um, kind of color to make yeah. it look a little more like a cheese topping. So nutritional yeast can be useful. Some people think that they can get all their vitamin B12 by eating fortified nutritional yeast, but it's too dangerous to rely on that alone for vitamin B12. Uh, you, you know, you need to make sure you got two tablespoons every single day, and that would be difficult to, to pull off. So I recommend uh, making sure that you get vitamin B12 in a supplement form. And I use 200 micrograms of the methylcobalamin form in my brain and body food for a vitamin brain B12. And body food. Um, right. The brain and I, body food is available on my website, um, drsteveblake.com. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just say something to the woman who talked about uh, your brain affecting your mind, because I read... Um, uh, healing back pain. Uh, you know this, and I can't. I can't remember the author, but I read it years ago because somebody said she just read the book and she, her back pain went went away. I read it; it meant nothing to me. And then I, someone else told me my husband was in bed for a month with back pain, so I reread it. I said I'm a different person than I was 30 years ago. I, I Deepak Chopra convinced me that perception is everything. And I think it really helped me. But I think also now what really helped me was meditation. I had had headaches for 60 years. And now sometimes I have absolutely no pain anywhere in my body. I have a new lease on life. So I think meditation. I should add meditation to my talk. You're right. And Tai Chi um, and Qigong. They're very yeah. relaxing. Yeah, I've done Tai Chi for many years. And I do find it very relaxing. And um I, I'll add both of those to my talk for next time. Okay, thank you, Bob. Good idea. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, and now for somebody who doesn't want to give up animal products, uh, is there any sort of ranking in your opinion as far as what are the worst offenders as far as animal products go, and what are what are some better from a health perspective? <laughs> you, you want me to tell you an animal product that's better for your health? Wow, but, that's well, a tough well, question. Let, well, hold on. Let me let me let me rephrase that. The, the ones that are least bad for your health. How about that? Is that a better phrasing of the of the? Okay. Well, okay. We can go with balance damage. Um, fish, for instance, certain fish like salmon will have EPA and DHA, which are long chain fatty acids that uh, can reduce inflammation in the body. Uh, those salmon may also have mercury, which is a neurotoxin, polychlorinated biphenols, which increase the risk of Parkinson's disease greatly, as well as cancer. Uh, fish is going to be bioaccumulating, especially the fatty fish that have any of the uh, EPA or DHA. They're also going to have um, so, so many contaminants from the ocean that it's, it's not really a tough choice to know whether or not you should eat fish because the, the problems for your health greatly outweigh any possible benefits. And of course, fish have protein, but since we all get too much protein, that's not much of an argument, is it? Mm -hmm. uh, I, um, I, I can't, um, 
what dairy well i mean dairy i was going to be at the the top of the harmful list of of non vegan foods um in so many ways um i i have a three minute summary of dairy on real truth about health where i hit all of the high points uh, of low points really of dairy consumption uh they have all the bad things arachidonic acid for more inflammation and if it's cheese, it's got the advanced glycation end products and endotoxins, which increase inflammation dramatically. The uh, insulin-like growth factor one for more cancer, uh, it's certainly easy to get the bovine growth hormone, which is uh, engineered, genetically engineered growth hormone. Don't really want any of that either. Excess saturated fat, uh, which leads to so many problems. Uh, there's just a long, long list of problems with dairy, not to mention the increase in sinus headaches. Uh, many people have had sinus headaches, quit dairy completely and have no more sinus headaches, which although not as bad as migraines can be quite painful and debilitating. So I mean, I could go on and on, but uh, dairy products would be at the top of my avoid list. And there's so many great substitutes. You can get non-dairy milk, butter, ice cream, all these things, but watch out that the saturated fat content per serving is only four or five, preferably a lot less. Uh, because I, I looked at an ice cream container at a health food store recently, it had 15 grams of saturated fat per tiny serving. Uh, so you wanna you know, make sure and try and keep your sat fats down to 12 grams or less per day. Thank you. So what are your thoughts on cholesterol lowering, lowering drugs in some cases? And what are some uh, some herbs or natural supplements um, that we can take to uh, to lower our cholesterol instead of drugs? Well, uh, lowering cholesterol with drugs is well established. Uh, statin drugs are clearly the the winners as the best selling drug on the planet. Um, I have a friend who's now in and out of the hospital who said, "Well, why should I change my eating habits? I can take a drug and lower my cholesterol." Uh, I think he's wishing he did it the other way. Um, and why take a drug or a natural supplement to lower your cholesterol when it's so easy to do with food? Uh, all you have to do is keep your saturated fat under 12 grams a day and your cholesterol will plummet. Uh, I've seen this over and over again. One lady, Betty, I'll call her, 80-year-old, uh, uh, came to us uh, at the neuroscience clinic after a stroke. Luckily, the stroke wasn't too bad, but it really freaked her out. And she got some exercise, but she was eating regularly cheese every day and heavy whipped cream in her coffee. And her cholesterol to start out was 385 total cholesterol. Okay, that's high. Yeah, 220 is the national average and not very good at all. So over six months, just by eliminating the dairy products, she went down to 220. And over the next six months, she went down to 144 total cholesterol. That's the stroke-free, heart attack-free zone. And she did it by lowering the saturated fat in her diet, which in her case was butter and uh, heavy whipping cream. The heavy whipping cream she replaced with the silk almond creamer. Ooh, that's good stuff. She loved it. Never wanted to go back to her heavy whipping cream. And she uses smart butter instead of butter, which is one that's low in sat fats and doesn't have trans fats or anything bad in it. And she she changed, she didn't eat cheese anymore. So it is possible to lower your blood cholesterol dramatically by changing your diet and quickly too. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, when that 144 report came in, every doctor in the clinic came over to, into the room and said, I have to see that, I don't believe it, because this was done with no drugs at all. I see that we're running out of time. <laughs> yes, yes. I actually, I just looked at the clock and I was like, wow, that went fast. It, it just very, your pleasure to listen to and, and when you're answering these questions. So with that, we're going to end our Q&A. I want to thank you for, for your time, for all that information that you gave our audience. If we can unmute the audience, please. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.